You're listening to the Worship Unlimited Ministries podcast. Hello everyone, welcome along to this week's Worship Unlimited Ministries podcast. Got something a bit special for you this week. I know that the podcast hasn't been quite as regular since I launched my book. I haven't been producing the weekly devotionals in quite the same way as I used to. But I want to um, do a few little different things. And this week is going to be part of that. So as a Christian author myself, one of the things I love is to talk to other people who write books. I've always been fascinated by books. I'm an avid reader, as you all know. But I think since writing my own book, it's given me more of an appreciation for other authors, other genres, what they do, and how we can learn from one another as Christian authors. So this week I got to interview a lovely lady who is from the UK, like me, and her name is Natasha Woodcraft. Now I discovered Natasha's work about a month ago when I saw her posting on Facebook asking for people to join her launch team for her new book. Now, when I looked at the information she gave, she said that this book, which is called The Wanderer Reborn, and it comes out today on the 3rd of December 2022, in case you're listening to this later on, um, I found out it was the second book in a series. So I knew that in order to be part of the launch team and to review it and to... um understand it adequately, I would have to read the first book. And I had to think about a few things. Did did I have the time to do it? And I thought, well, yeah, probably I have got the time to do it. Did I want to do it? And the reason why I debated this is because it's uh, Natasha's genre of writing is biblical fiction. And what she's done is she's taken the story of Cain and Abel from Genesis chapter four. It's primarily told in Genesis four. There are bits of information later on in the Bible that allude to it, but it's primarily found in Genesis 4. And her first book, The Wanderer Reborn, is a retelling or a reimagination of that great event, the first murder, when Cain murdered his brother. And I decided to be part of the launch team, even though that meant I had to read two books in the space of a few weeks, Because I was fascinated by how somebody would take the character of Cain and write from his point of view. And I actually discovered Natasha does it brilliantly. She's such a gifted lady. Uh, She has such insight into us human beings, how we tick, why we do what we do. And what I love about Natasha's work as well is how she relates New Testament principles that we associate more with Jesus, grace, mercy, into Old Testament stories. So The Wanderer Scorned came out earlier this year. That's the story from Cain's point of view. It takes us up to his murdering his brother. Then the second book, The Wanderer Reborn, releases today. And I wondered what Natasha would do with that, in a sense, because to me, she'd told the story. She told the story of Cain. But what she does in The Wanderer Reborn is equally fascinating because she picks up the story after the murder of Abel and tells it from the point of view of another character, obviously a fictitious character, 
um, a character that she's invented for the purposes of the story. But um, that character is Abel's twin sister. She imagines that he has a twin sister and her name is Awan. I think I've said that wrongly, but Natasha will forgive me. So I'm going to share with you my conversation with Natasha over two parts. And I really hope you enjoy it as much as I enjoyed chatting to her. Natasha, welcome to the Worship Unlimited Ministries podcast. It's lovely to have you with us. Thank you very much. It's lovely to be here. Having read both of your books, really excited about your book launch, which is this coming Saturday, isn't it? Yes. Yes. So the book's going to be available, or it's going to be published on Saturday, will be available from then. It's available pre-order at the moment. So I guess the first thing that listeners might want to know is, um, how did you become a Christian? I have Christian parents and um, I actually spent some of my formative years in uh, what was called Zaire then, which is now called the Congo in Africa. Yeah, I, I was taught the Bible from a very young age, so I was, that's a real privilege. And uh, probably when I was about four or five years old, um, I knew that I'd accepted Jesus into my heart. And there was um, a fantastic man who used to do this uh, this sort of postal Bible school with the missionary kids. And um, he was called Uncle Bill Orr, and uh, he taught us scriptures and would put them into stories and sort of scenarios that children could could get. And First uh, John 1, 9 was particularly um, my favourite Bible verse. And if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. And I think I was aware of, of saying that from a very, very young age and always believed in Jesus and always uh, claimed um, his salvation for myself. Uh, but as is often the case, um, you know, <laughs> stories were important to me then. And, and that was great. I suppose they've always been important to me. But of course, um, in your teen years, things become a bit more complicated, don't they? Oh, yeah. <laughs> so, yeah. And I think I, I sort of did try and rebel a little bit. I tried to to forget about God. But he always seemed to keep me tightly in his hand. I never strayed for very long before uh, he would pull me back in, usually by giving me a good telling off. Uh, and uh, yeah I just I had some wonderful people in my life that would that would challenge me and pull me up and um, although I sort of tried to deny that God existed he was just he was so gracious to me yeah he always always found people that would speak the truth and love to me and um, yes I've always been quite I suppose because of my background I've always been quite passionate about my faith having seen faith in action from a very young age but also I needed to find my relationship with Jesus myself and for it to be a walk with him rather than a set of um, ideas that I that I believed. I always say that like, the Christian faith is a relationship, not a religion. Yes. Yes. And I think many of us, like we get caught up in all the rules and and we can get so bogged down by all those rules and regulations that sometimes we miss out on the relationship aspect. Exactly. Of walking with the Lord. Exactly. I think particularly when you're a teenager, you're so aware of those rules because they're against everything that you want to do. Yeah. <laughs> and um, and so I, it's, it's very easy to get to get caught up, isn't it? And to um, to just think that that God is is out to get you, as it were, and to, to miss grace, to completely miss grace. And um, yeah, it's I, it was much later, although I, I wouldn't say there was a point where I stopped being a Christian. Um, it was much later on when I really discovered 
my love of God and discovered that the heart of the gospel. And I think that really comes out in what you've written. Yes, I think that is that is definitely one of the themes. Um, and I wanted to um, give people the chance to ask those difficult questions, give people a voice. It, it's immense privilege, immense privilege to be brought up in a Christian home. It really is. Um, but it can also mean that you, you're not quite sure how to say the things that are going on in your head um, and how to voice those um, difficulties. So um, I, part of writing the books was giving people permission to ask those difficult questions and to wrestle with, with the truth. Because I think like those of us who've been brought up in the church, in inverted commas, I think sometimes we feel that a lot is expected of us. We're kind of held to a higher standard, but we face the same struggles as everyone else. Certainly. And um, I definitely felt that pressure. And I, I'm not sure anyone put it on me, but I certainly put it on myself this yeah. year to be a sort of perfect Christian. And yeah. I didn't realise that that was just not what it was about at all. <laughs> and of course, you know, yeah, OK, we need to try and try and live according to Jesus's will. But um, it's about love, isn't it? And about grace and about accepting, accepting God and his incredible gift to us. That's definitely what I wanted to bring out. And, and particularly through this second story, I, I, I tried to bring out that idea that actually we're all, it, it doesn't matter sort of what your background is or how faithful you've been in the past. We're all on a journey. Um, we all need to come before God all the time <laughs> and on our knees and, and confess and, and ask him for help. So, yeah. So as well as being a writer, you're also a musician. Which came first, the writing or the music? In theory, it was writing because I do actually have um, an old novel in my loft in on scraps of exercise book paper, which I wrote when I was 14. <laughs> and so I suppose I did write first, um, but nothing really came. I did dabble in poetry a little bit when I was a teen as well. But I hadn't really done any proper writing, if you like, first. So... Um, I started songwriting seven years ago. I use the term musician loosely. <laughs> I, um, I have been trained in, in singing, but not the other instrument I play is the trumpet. And uh, I don't really play very well the instruments that are required for songwriting. Um, but I felt songwriting um, did come first before I started writing any of these these novels that I'm publishing at the moment really that was a gift and it came out of a difficult time and what we've just been discussing really um, about finding the relationship with God and I think I'd become so um, concerned with this appearance and particularly as I, I'd just been through a stage where I'd actually been a a pastor's wife, if you like. And so I think that puts a particular burden on, on you yeah. <laughs> to look like you're doing it correctly. Coming out of that and everything being quite difficult, um, I felt sort of like I didn't know what my, my purpose was going forward. And um, I felt like I was a failure and I didn't know where to go. And I didn't know how I was gonna be able to serve God if I wasn't in ministry. And um, songwriting came out of that experience and other things were going on personally in my marriage and other things. Yeah, I, I just, I feel like God gave me that as a gift. 
And I hadn't, although I'd always sung, apparently I, I sang before I could talk and I was always humming a tune to myself when I was little, but um, I hadn't applied that to faith. Yeah, so I was I was sort of just sitting down and, and, and praying and, and uh, not knowing where I was and sort of asking God all of these difficult questions, you know, why has this happened? Why are you doing this? This isn't fair. This doesn't make sense. And he just gave me a song and I was reading through Ephesians at the time. And I started to meditate on Ephesians. And through that, I sort of had 10 or 12 songs. Um, and I do feel like they were given to me. And it was like a conversation between between me and the Lord. And I poured my heart into those. And I think that was the first time really I'd poured my heart into it, to um, something that could possibly go public, which was a bit terrifying. <laughs> and so I kept them to myself for a long time. And I've only just recently started recording them and putting them out there and that's quite a scary thing to do because some of them are very very personal yeah but I think that if I'm feeling that way I'm pretty sure that other people are feeling that, that way and I want to be able to share that again giving people permission to um to lament and to grieve and to um to ask questions and but the story of that really is that is that God came and he he drew me to himself and I, and I learned to communicate with him. And initially it was through song. And then, um, yes, later on, I woke up with an idea for a book and uh, started doing that. <laughs> Both of your books contain songs, don't they? Yes, they do. So because of songwriting coming first, I suppose I naturally communicate in that way. And um, I wanted to weave that into the writing. And that was perhaps I probably drew in inspiration from things like Lord of the Rings when I did that. I'm a bit of a Tolkien fanatic. And um, I love the way that the prose and poetry and song is intertwined in those books. But I didn't want to just sort of include songs that everyone knew. I wanted to, to write my own because it's great fun. So, yeah, so I weave it in and, and particularly with the character of Awan, who is the, the main character in the second novel that's coming up. She is, she communicates with the Lord through song. And uh, it was quite funny, really, because when I was reading my first draft, my husband, he was like, well, she's basically you. <laughs> and I said, well, sort of, there are some differences, but <laughs> she communicates with the Lord in the same way through, through song, which sort of, I have her sort of pegged as the first sort of songwriter. Yeah, so, so I weave that in, but um, I try to base the songs, and most of them are based on psalms. Um, one of them is based on a section from Lamentations um, and a couple of them just sort of popped out of my head, but they're all very, yeah, scripturally based. Um, and I think there's a a sense, obviously, these so these novels are set right back in the early times. The story is, is Cain and Abel. So you're talking about right at the beginning and all the Psalms and things that we have are obviously much later on. But the... Um, the way I sort of want to weave it in is I think there's there's a pattern just as we um, sing psalms now in our churches, you know, several thousand years after they were written. I think there would have been a pattern, you know, those sort of themes that we see drawn out um, through scripture would have been there from the very beginning and then would have been built on over time. So I wanted to sort of bring that through as well. Having read your books, I mean, yes, I recognised where some of the scriptures had come from, that they had come from the Psalms, but they just seemed to fit so perfectly. 
yeah. into what you'd written. <laughs> yeah, and it was, I, I'm so grateful to God for that because I, you know, it, when I was writing at certain points, I'd, I'd sort of get stuck and not know where I'm going, as I'm sure you can appreciate. Oh, yeah. And, yeah, so um, you sort of thought, oh, where am I going with this? I'm not quite sure where this is going. And, and I'd sort of go back to the scripture and I'd pray over it. And, and one sort of really important moment was when I read in my quiet time, Psalm 50. Hear, O my people, and I will speak, O Israel, and I will testify against you. I am God, your God. Not for your sacrifices do I rebuke you. That section. And um, he's talking about how sacrifices are not sufficient and what he wants is their heart and what God wants is their, their thanksgiving and he wants an upright heart. And, and in that psalm as well, he talks about um, you, you give your mouth free reign for evil and your tongue frames deceit. You sit and speak against your brother, um, against your own mother's son, you revile. And I read that and I was like, oh, my goodness, this is <laughs> this is Cain against Abel. Yeah. <laughs> it just seemed to fit so completely perfectly. And I was at a point where I wasn't quite sure what was happening with Cain and where he was going. And um, and then I, I read that psalm and I was like, this is it. This is the answer. <laughs> and so then the rest of the story got framed around around Psalm 50. Yes, I was just so grateful to God for that, <laughs> for that revelation. And that's what one of the things that I really love about your books is that you, even though you're dealing with a very small section of the Bible, um, just that bit in Genesis 4, I love the way you weave the whole story of the Bible into that one story. You know, the Bible is, is all one story, isn't it? And we know that, that the Bible is all about Jesus. And yet it can be hard to see that sometimes, can't it? And often when we read the Old Testament, we can sort of get bogged down in the in the detail. Yeah, it's, it was so, so lovely to me just going on this journey with the Lord and writing this story. And, and I just started with an idea and, and I literally just started writing. I didn't plan it out or anything. <laughs> it got planned later. <laughs> but it, yeah, as I was going through just actually the Lord revealing to me um, his purposes in that original story and obviously a lot of it came out of my imagination um and yet there were so many scriptures that were given me as i was writing that i was able to weave in yeah and it, and it just it just brought home to me how much is it is true that that jesus is through the whole of scripture even right back at at the beginning we sometimes think about those passages um uh, like like this the curse and the snake and things like that and we think how they refer to Jesus but perhaps not so much the actual themes of the stories and so to bring that out was just really yeah really um encouraging for my own heart and I can just hope that it encourages other people. So what genre of literature would you say your books belong to? Well I only discovered this after I'd written them <laughs> Because I just sat down to write and I didn't really know anything about biblical fiction, but apparently they belong to the genre of biblical fiction. And that's just basically the idea that you take um, themes from the Bible or you set it in the area that the Bible is set in and the time frame that the Bible is set in and you uh, create a story. And that will most of the time include Bible characters Sometimes people just write around the Bible character and, and maybe the character is a very small cameo role or something like that. Mine is obviously much more explicit, based very, very much on the Bible story. Um, at least the first 
book is and then the second one really is only based on one verse <laughs> and uh, <laughs> the rest of it's all my imagination <laughs> but um yeah so it does belong to this genre of biblical fiction but I, I didn't know I'd never actually read much biblical fiction and um, before I wrote it um, and so it came as quite a surprise to me that there was actually quite a lot out there. I in the past I've had a bit of a love-hate relationship with biblical fiction um, and some of it for me has been that people are so concerned with being true to the biblical text which I completely understand mm -hmm. that they don't put enough life into the story they, they basically just retell the bible story they don't add any life and so the characters then come out a bit flat yes no i mean i've read a few examples where i thought this would be a really good book but then i feel like i've well i've just read the bible you know and it didn't add anything to my understanding or to my imagination and it almost weakened the characters for me because they they seemed lifeless mm. and i mean when i saw your invite on facebook asking people to be part of the launch team and I saw it with biblical fiction. I kind of thought, hmm, do I want to do this? <laughs> <laughs> but something told me I should. Yeah. I had this feeling like you're going to really enjoy these books. Yeah. And so I did. And then, of course, um, I hadn't read the first book, so I had to speed read. But I actually found that I couldn't put it down. And for me, it was because, it, yes, it's biblical fiction, but you're really bringing the characters to life. Mm. You're, you're making me think about how Cain would have felt, how Abel would have felt, you know, how the parents would have felt. And, and obviously, even the fact that there would have been other siblings. Yeah, which I'd never thought about before. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, because it's and, and, and some people perhaps won't like that because they'll think that you're, you know, that you're adding on to the story. And I do obviously do a lot of adding on to the story. <laughs> um, but for me, yes, it was really about what is what would it have looked like? And I think I just transported myself back. And um, there were lots of concerns and things. I thought, oh, what should I do about, you know, all the different opinions people have on creation, all those sorts of things. And I kind of went around in circles a little bit with those. But but I really um, ended up just it being about the relationships between the characters and putting myself back there and thinking, what would they feel like when I initially started writing and I wrote I started in first person I don't know why <laughs> I think I just knew that I was writing from Kane's perspective and it was going to be difficult to explore the story without it really being without me being in his head and yet that presented all sorts of challenges firstly the fact that he is a man <laughs> which makes it yeah. difficult when you're a woman <laughs> and that's why I read my draft to my husband and he gave me a few pointers oh a man wouldn't say that you know <laughs> you need to think like a man so, okay help me with this <laughs> I think I'm, I wanted to explore those questions about because when um I thought of the Cain and Abel story when I was younger. I actually had questions like, well, wasn't it a bit unfair of God to um, to reject Cain's sacrifice? Why did he do that? Yeah. Because the Bible doesn't tell us why. And I was kind of thought, well, why did he do that? And yet I didn't feel like I could ask those questions um, because you feel like you're questioning the scripture and that somebody's going to tell you off for doing that. But I had those questions in my mind and I'm sure I'm not the only one. And um, 
it, yeah, so I was sort of like, well, that, that's, why, why would God do that? And I thought, well, how would Cain have felt? You know, what would Cain think? Well, why did God reject my sacrifice? Because on first appearances, it looks like he really genuinely wanted to give something to God. And it's, yeah, it feels very strange, doesn't it? Yeah, it does. Obviously, we know it. I mean, there's disastrous consequences, but you can kind of, I could kind of understand. And and um, I thought, well, if it would be great to just explore this. And I really wanted to get inside Cain's head. And so, so I wrote in the first verse, and I think that's quite unusual, at least in biblical fiction, to write in first person. But it really just works because it helps you to uh, to live the events and to live all of the emotions and yeah and then creating the other characters was really fun and imagining <laughs> what might have what might have happened and the different interactions between the family and and uh yeah the sort of the little ones arguing and all those sorts of little things which make life life rather than it being something whitewashed you know just just real and particularly Adam and Eve they were they were tricky to write particularly from Cain's perspective and one of the big major themes of the the first book is is Cain's difficult relationship with Adam and uh, the way that that develops and and the way that it affects him and that was that was quite difficult I didn't want Adam to be a real bad guy yet at the same time <laughs> I had to revise it a lot to um to get it and then of course we we come back round and I don't know how you felt reading the second book um about how Adam's character looked very different from a different perspective how he learned his lessons alongside his son. It's amazing though, because although you wrote in the first person in both books and you got into Cain's head in the first book and then Iwan's head in this, I've said that wrong, I'm sorry. I don't know if there's a right or wrong, so don't worry about it, <laughs> however you like. <laughs> in the second book, but even though you did it from their points of view, you did manage to make the other characters equally alive because sometimes a book in the first person the, the downside of it is that you only get their point of view but somehow you manage to get us into the heads of everyone else as well I think perhaps it's it's the use of dialogue um there's a lot of dialogue and uh particularly the arguments between the characters you know, yeah the, the sort of fights between Cain and, and Havel and um yeah, sorry, he's called Havel, not Abel. <laughs> um, just in case the listeners are wondering who on earth I'm talking about. Um, yeah, the, the sort of arguments between them. And um, I, I think, I've, so I've, I'm one of five siblings. And so there was always a lot of banter going on in our house. It was very noisy. And <laughs> and so I, I guess I could kind of put myself in that. And I just really imagined, you know, what it's like and, and people aren't simple are they people no. are created and we'll have yeah. we'll say things that we don't mean and then we'll regret them and we'll go back and we've got to um yeah it happens all the time and 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 just making dialogue kind of realistic and I guess that's the way I fleshed out the characters because it is otherwise you're just describing everything happening and that can feel very very flat I've read some books that are just sort of all all description, all narrative, and, and it just, they never come alive to me. Boring. And, yeah. <laughs> you just want to sort of show what's going on through through the through the discussions. And, and you know, poor old Adam puts his foot in it so many times, doesn't he? And uh, <laughs> I felt quite sorry for him. <laughs> but at the same time, he was, I really wanted to bring out through Adam that notion. I just thought, what would it, you know, we hear in the New Testament, 
that that Christ is is the new Adam, and that he you know he redeems all of creation. I just felt, what would it feel like if Adam felt like all of creation had been destroyed because of his actions? What would that yeah. feel? And putting myself as well into the man, because obviously we say, well, it was Eve that took the fruit, it was her fault. But I think men often feel this responsibility, rightly or rightly or wrongly, they sort of put it on their own shoulders. And um, and I wanted to bring that out through Adam, that he really felt this enormous responsibility for what had happened and the fact that everything had gone wrong was all his fault. And what would that do to a character? What would that do to a person feeling the weight of all of that? And so that's something I really was keen to explore as well, which I think hopefully I, I did. But did. Um, seeing it through Kane's perspective, who doesn't understand what that feels like, was very interesting. So it was really just a, a thought experiment. and But it did have a lot of revision, a lot of editing <laughs> to try and get the balance right. <laughs> and I also loved your reasoning on the, the theory that there might have been a big gap between the birth of Cain and the rest of the kids. Oh, yeah, that's good. I mean, obviously, yeah, we just we just don't know, do we? Some people say, oh, well, Cain and Abel were probably twins and there weren't any other children at the time. But it just didn't feel very natural to me. It felt, yeah, much more natural that there would have been a gap. And it just allows for more of a development of Cain's character. And, and they must have there must have been a long period of time before they had children. In, if you look at the timelines. And the fact that Seth wasn't born until Adam was 130, you think no, there's, and that's very, very common in the Old Testament when you look at all the timelines, they left a long time. So yeah, that's my thinking, well, there was probably quite a big gap and and that sort of played into the story and played into Cain's fears and, and um, yeah, and his relationship and, with Adam. And also the complexities that there might have been in Adam and Eve's relationship that might have caused them not to be as together as they could have been for a while. Yeah, like that as well. Yeah, exactly. Because if you've got that much baggage, it's going to affect things, isn't it? Yeah. <laughs> so I just I couldn't imagine them just sort of leaving the garden and then being like, oh, yes, we love each other and there's no bad blood there. And um, no, actually, there would have been a lot of bad blood because he blamed you and you blamed him. And, he, you know, <laughs> there was a lot of blame and a lot of harsh words going on after the fall. And, and, and you don't just forget that sort of thing, do you? And again, it, it just brings it to life because, I mean, I guess the Bible's got to make these things brief. Otherwise, it would be about mm -hmm. 20 times as long as it is now. And it's a big book as it is. Exactly. So. Yeah. And, and they didn't have parchment. We have to remember, that, you know, <laughs> for a long, long time. I mean, you know, we, we just take it for granted, don't we? The printing press and, and paper and everything. And they didn't have all of that. So, no. yeah, it has to be brief. But um it, it's very, it is quite scary. Well, it's very scary dealing with biblical text and and wondering how people are going to to react to it. And I was very, very geared up for having lots of negative reactions, which incredibly I haven't actually had yet. <laughs> they might come later, but um, yeah, very good. You do feel the fear that somebody's going to disagree with my interpretation. Somebody's not going to like it. And there's lots of people that don't think it should be done at all. But I don't feel like creating a story out of the biblical text is really any different to creating a sermon out of the biblical text. It's just another interpretation. And um, stories are powerful. I, I thought actually when I was um when I did my theology degree, my initial idea was to write nonfiction and I had a few books that I was intending on, I sort of had in my mind that I might I might write. And I never expected to write a story. 
Um, and yet, as I read stories, I think I realised how powerful they were. And of course, Jesus taught in stories and a lot of the time. And I think there is there is just that power. And also, it's just a lot easier to read a story. <laughs> and uh, I'm a mum of four, so our household is very hectic. And um, I don't really read nonfiction because I sit down to read it and it's it's hard work and you have to really concentrate. But stories I can pick up and read quickly. And I thought, well, if there's lots of other people like me out there who are very busy and find it hard to sit down and read nonfiction, perhaps really, yeah, fiction is is a way of communicating these these truths and these ideas in a much easier way for people to to uh, to get hold of and to grasp. I, well, I, I think we you can get a lot of teaching out of fiction. Yeah. And it stays in your head, doesn't it? I mean, the amount of sermons I've listened to in my life, and I can only remember a handful of them, but I remember the stories that I've read. So why of all the characters in the Bible that you could have written about, why did you choose Cain? I didn't really intend to. <laughs> so when I first started thinking about writing, I thought I'd be in the New Testament. I know that I can sort of uh, fall in love with with fictional characters when I'm reading. And I thought, well, would it it would be great to write about Jesus that way and help people to fall in love with Jesus. And that was my sort of original intention. Uh, but I was very aware that um, I hadn't written much before. And I, I thought it would be very difficult to to start with Jesus. I didn't feel qualified to do that at all. <laughs> so, uh, so I was just really thinking and and praying about about where to start. And I was doing that for several months. And then one morning, I just woke up, and and I had the idea. And this this does happen to me. And by God's grace, um, sometimes I just wake up with ideas. <laughs> and I just start. It was in the January lockdown um, of twenty twenty one. And uh, I just sat down at the computer and I wrote, it all started with the banishment. And that's the first line of, of Cain's story. And I started there and, and then and then it just it just came. Um, and uh, I had the idea that I wanted to, as I've said, sort of give people permission to to think about those big questions. And there's a lot of big questions about suffering and things like that in the books. And um, to explore the idea that Cain wasn't necessarily a monster. And we think of him, you know, the first murderer. I mean, he's absolutely notorious and, you know, didn't just murder anyone, but murdered his brother. I mean, it's, it's sort of the worst sin. Yeah, he's been villainized so much over the millennia. And so many stories have been written about him. And I mean, in one uh, part of the Midrash, it even says that the, the, the mark that Cain was given was this giant horn that came out of his head. <laughs> and I was just thinking, oh, guy, <laughs> really? <laughs> and, and, you know, people just, they've let their imaginations go wild with Cain. And yet I haven't found anyone that's tried to really understand where it came from. And, and, and what was on my heart was, um, is he really, was he really that different to you or me? I, I had in my mind um, Jesus' teaching in Matthew 5 where he talks about, you know, if you just uh, have anger in your heart against somebody, it's, it's no different to, to murdering them, which is, which is really, really hard teaching <laughs> to get hold of. And, um, and you just think, no, no, it's, it's really, really different. And, and yes, OK, in some ways it is. But uh, the point is, is that, is that we're all 
under the same judgment. We, we, we all can't get to God by ourselves. Uh, we all need Jesus. And uh, it doesn't matter whether you've lived a life that looks like it's really, really good on the outside to everybody else. You need Jesus just as much as the notorious criminal in, in the prison. And, and so that was where my heart was. And I just, I just had the idea that, that exploring Cain would be a way to explore this idea and to actually humanize him uh, rather than him being some beast that had a great big horn, <laughs> um, being a, a real person. And what struggles did he go through? How did he get um, from A to B, really? And I think you're right. I think people do villainize characters like Cain. But, you know, I mean, he, but I love the way you included what God did for him after he was banished. Yeah. Um, you know, and, and the, the way that God, God actually did reach out to him, even the Bible tells us that. Yes, because that conversation between them, it's, I mean, I I just skirted over that in the past, but actually to dig into that conversation about um, his, his judgment, Cain's judgment, and um, the way that he reacted to that judgment and the way that the Lord then gave him the mark. Um, it's, it's fascinating. <laughs> I think what's, because also the words that Cain says back to God, this is too much for me to bear. I will be banished from your presence forever. And those are, they don't actually match up with what God said to him. And it's really, really interesting. And it's something that I just, I spent a long time exploring. Well, what does this actually mean? What does it look like? And yeah, it was, it was just really, really interesting. And to see that the mark was not some giant horn, but was a mark of grace. You know, it was a mark that determined that Cain would not be killed and um, just shows God's grace to this notorious sinner, this awful person. They did this awful thing and um, God showed immediate grace. And yes, he was judged. Yes, he had to bear punishment for what he'd done. Absolutely, he did. And to to explore those themes of how God's justice and God's mercy um are there right from the beginning and um you've got it right right at the beginning when when he he slays a creature to clothe adam and eve and then you've got it in cain as well and that is seen through the whole bible right up to jesus and beyond and we see it still now he's he's always balancing the justice and mercy and um at the cross they were they were married together weren't they ultimately Thank you for listening. For more information, please go to www.worshipunlimitedministries.org. If you'd like to get in touch or give feedback, you can email worshipunlimited1 at gmail.com. And we'll be back with another devotional next week. God bless you all.